Good morning, church family. Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for you are great, you're majestic, you're holy, you're perfect, you're completely other. There are no words to describe who you are. And even as we read the words of Scripture, it is only but a glimpse into eternity whereby you will reveal yourself in all of your glory and when we see you face to face. So Lord, we thank you for this worship center. We thank you for this church, the congregation. We thank you for the people. We thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for the book of 1 Corinthians whereby we learn and are guided by your spirit to know what it means to love and to love other people and to love with all of our heart. So we thank you, Lord. We pray that you would guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The sermon title is The Greatest of These. As many of you have experienced listening to this passage during a wedding ceremony, um, it's, it's really clear that uh, uh, you, you may have noticed that almost immediately it's applied to the, groom, the groom and the bride. And that the rest of the people there are focused on how this passage is applicable to the bride and the groom. And rarely does it hit home that this passage is not, is not uh, only for married couples, but for those at the, uh, or those at the altar, but for everyone sitting in the audience and listening. In fact, this passage is a powerful declaration of something far greater than what we can imagine or experience in our lifetime. It is a declaration of something, actually rather someone, who is the epitome of love. The goal of this sermon is to let you see that love is a vital part of the Christian life. And that without love, you cannot do anything of value in the kingdom of God. Dissension, envy, strife, resentment, bitterness divide us. Love heals and brings forth peace. This chapter is a central piece, not only in the natural segmented theme of uh, spiritual gifts from chapter 12 to 14, but central to the entire book of 1 Corinthians. In fact, I would venture to say that this chapter holds the key to unlocking all the troubles and challenges that were described in the previous chapters and the chapters to come. It's an incredibly important chapter. So once again, the big idea of this sermon is love is a vital part of the Christian life. And without love, you cannot do anything in the, of value in the kingdom of God. You know, a lot of times we think, God, I want to glorify you. I want to glorify you. I want to do this thing. I want to use my gifts. But hey, if, if, if we are not loving as he loved us in doing those gifts, we are nothing. And I'm going to share that with you as we go through these questions. The first question is this. Why love matters? Why does love matter? And then what, uh, what uh, uh, sorry, can you go back to the other slide? Why love matters, what love does, and why love lasts? Those are the three questions we're going to uh, attempt to go through today. So why does love matter? 
Why does love matter? In chapter 12, verse 31, it says this. But eagerly or earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I have, and if I uh, deliver up my body to be burned, but not have love, I gain nothing. So, the, the text here is specifically talking about, and in chapter 12, giving a little bit of a context, that, that the people at Corinth wanted to know who had the better gifts. One had prophecy, one had knowledge, one had uh, gifts of teaching and preaching. And they wanted to exercise those gifts because they were saying that these gifts are going to be honored. These are the things that are going to be noticed. And Paul says, no, uh, 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 you, you can, the hand cannot say to the foot that you are not valuable. The eye cannot say to the ear that you're not valuable. You see, Paul, what Paul was saying is that every single person and their gift is valuable and essential in the church. But then Paul goes on and says, eagerly desire the, the higher gifts. And what he's basically saying is, if you have a desire for so-and-so, those type of higher gifts, go ahead, eagerly desire them. But I am going to show you a more excellent way. Because in the midst of the struggles and the trials within the church at Corinth, they had one big struggle, and that was they emphasized gifts way too much. They were trying their best to, to analyze and to see whether or not uh, you know, certain gifts were being expressed, and they didn't really understand that all gifts were important. And Paul says here in this passage, now I'm going to show you something that is going to blow your mind away. This is going to show you the truth of why you have these gifts. So then, then it says there, in verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but not have love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Now Paul knew that back then, in the first century uh, uh, Jewish mindset that there was uh, this, this whole um, speaking in tongues after uh, the Pentecost. There was this, this desire to speak in tongues as a, as a spiritual gift to express a glory to God and to, for the benefit of the church. And so he was saying, if I speak. Now notice what it says, if I speak. He doesn't say, if you speak, if you speak, if you speak, if you speak. No, he says, if I speak. So it's a term of evaluation for himself. And he's inviting everybody to say, hey, listen, even if I have all these gifts but have not love, I am nothing. And this is Paul speaking. He could have just said, hey, you guys in Corinth, you know, if you guys say you can do this but you have not love, you have nothing. You're nothing. No, he said, I am nothing. The whole there, the, you, know, you see, this is the... This is the truth, is that Paul always assumed himself as the one who was the one who actually had these weaknesses. He knew that these were very, very uh, difficult um, challenges within the church. And so he wasn't blaming anyone. He was just saying, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, he's basically saying, listen, if I do these things but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. So what does that mean? 
Uh, you know, noisy gong and clanging cymbal is not just a, uh, you know, annoying. <laughs> it's not just being annoyed, you know, at, at, at uh, wow, like that's, that's really annoying. It, it actually, in, in the early ancient Near Eastern times, it was uh, celebrated in uh, pagan festivals using gongs and clanging cymbals. And, and what Paul is saying is that if you think that you can speak in tongues and you do not have love, you're no different than just a pagan. You're no different. So to put it positively, love is the central nature of life. Love must be central to all that you do, especially if you have these gifts. You must do it all in love. And the second is this, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge and have all faith as so as to remove mountains but have not love, I have nothing. So what Paul is saying here is that if I have all the knowledge in the world, and this is talking specifically about divine knowledge given to, from God to him in order for him to dis, dispense to the rest of the world, if I have all of that and I have all the mysteries that God has given me but I do not have love, I am Nothing. And let's not sugarcoat this, okay? When I read that, I, I'm, not, I'm not, like sometimes I'm just like, uh, you know, I'm still something, you know. I'm not, I'm not totally nothing, right? We have to treat God's word as it is. Brothers and sisters, we need to be very clear about this. There's a positive and negative side to this very passage. And the positive side is this, is that God desires for us to know that love is the central way of life. That his love for us and that our love displayed to the world is, a very, is the central part of our life. But the negative side is this, is that if you think you can get away with having all of these gifts, doing so much ministry, taking care of all these people, and you do it, but you don't do it with love, don't think you can get off the hook. God is not in heaven saying, oh, well, you know, Andrew, you did this, and you preached this many messages, you did that, you did this, okay. That's great. That's great, Andrew, okay, I approve of you. If I don't have love, I am nothing. This is, this is fundamental to Christianity. It's fundamental to our faith. It's fundamental to all of us as church members. It's fundamental to our practicing of the spiritual gifts. And then finally, it says here, if I give away all that I have, or, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but not have love, I gain nothing. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, you know, back in the Old Testament, when he was facing Nebuchadnezzar, they were facing Nebuchadnezzar, and, and Nebuchadnezzar told him to bow down uh, to this graven image as well as an idol of himself. And so he, they, they didn't, and so, so they, they, you know, he, he threw them into uh, a, a burning furnace. And so even if you're at that point of dying for your faith, but you do not have love, you gain absolutely nothing. That's powerful. That is very powerful. And so the next slide here is uh, just um, a description by D.A. Carson. I love what he says here. The result is the same without love. I gain nothing. My deeds of philanthropy and my resolute determination to remain loyal to the truth, even in the face of martyrdom, cannot in themselves attest my high spiritual position or the superiority of my experiences with the Holy Spirit. In all of this, there, if there is no love, I gain nothing. In this divine mathematics, five minus one equals zero. 
This is very, this is very fundamental. And I, I mean, D.A. Carson is much smarter than I am. So I, hadn't, I, mean, I was thinking, five minus one is not zero. Why is it zero? Because if you have five gifts, 10 gifts, 15 gifts, 20 gifts, and then you do it all for the church, you do it all for, quote unquote, the glory of God, but then there's something missing and you minus love. You have nothing. You gain nothing. You are a loud clanging cymbal and a loud gong. Brothers and sisters, let us not fool ourselves. The why does love matter? Because it is the central piece to our salvation. It is the central piece to our life. So no matter what we do, the question is, are we loving? The question is, do we do those things out of love? And Paul is not apologetic about this. You can be a missionary and you can, you can sacrifice your life on the, uh, in, 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 the, uh, in the jungles of Papua New Guinea. You can be a pilot with uh, MAF. You can be so many different things. Like you can, you can serve the Lord as much as you want. But if the love of God and that love is not being truly expressed and you're doing it for other purposes, do not be fooled. You gain nothing and you are nothing. This is, this is, this is absolutely foundation into, to our Christian walk. And let's not be down on ourselves a little bit here when we think about, oh my goodness, Andrew, like why, oh boy, I mean, I got to really check and see whether or not I'm loving because if I'm not, then maybe I'm nothing. No, let's look to the second part. The second part is this. Oh, actually, before we go there, if I have every other gift, spiritually speaking, and I do not have love, I am no different than a pagan. I am nothing even though I think I'm something and I gain nothing even though I feel like I deserve something. That's for any ministry, any preacher, anybody. Lord, help us to know the significance of why love matters. Now, in definition of what love is, let's, let's go to the second uh, uh, slide here. What love does, 12 verse 4 to, uh, sorry, it should be 13 verse 4 to 7. It's a typo there. 13 verse 4 to 7. Why love matters and then what love does. Before we go into that passage, I want to just share with you what happened uh, at the Passover when Jesus uh, finished his meal and afterwards he put a cloak around his waist and he, what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. And so John 13, 34 to 35 says, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another just as I have loved you. There's an example here. Jesus is not just saying you do it and I can just watch. He did it. But <laughs> not only that. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By all this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Earlier on in that passage, he also tells his disciples to wash one another's feet. But then, in this passage right here, 34 to 35, he does not say wash one another's feet. He says love one another. So I don't know about you, but when I conclude Jesus saying wash one another's feet and then he's actually saying love, there's got to be something more substantial than just the act of washing someone's feet because Jesus could have just said, hey, if you wash someone's feet, then you're part of the kingdom of God. You're, part of, you're, you're, you're actually doing my will. He says you must love one another. Love is an affection of the heart that drives a person to act. Love must be an emotional thing. It, sorry, it's not emotionalism. It is emotional. It is filled with passion. It is filled with affection. It is filled with warmth. It is filled with God's love. You see, God is not, did not just 
scientifically prepare everything for us to say, well, if I do this at this time, and if I send my son at this time, then this is what's going to happen. Yes, absolutely, everything was fulfilled in prophecy, but he did so because of his love, because God is love. He prepared everything from beginning of time to the end of time because he loves us, and we're going to get to that a little bit later on. But there must be emotion, and I believe Jesus had emotion. I believe Jesus was not just sitting there scrubbing his disciples' feet, but he loved them. He loved them. He loves us. That is the foundation of 1 Corinthians 13, because if we, if we think 1 Corinthians 13 is about us, it's not about us. Your kindness and your patience is not a definition of love. My kindness and my patience is not a definition of love. It, if it is, it's a pretty pathetic one. We have to look outside ourselves. So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, and we'll go on to verse 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy. It does not uh, boast. Uh, it is not arrogant. It is not rude. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You see, um, I think it's important for us to know that love is defined in these patterns, right? The, the orange or red, depending on how you see it. Um, it, 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 it it's the positive, Patient and kind are virtues, right? And if you see down there, below there, you said rejoices with the truth. This is a positive thing. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's a positive aspect of what love does. Love is patient and it is kind. It's a definition there. But love does not. And why does it say it does not? I mean, you could have just... Why did Paul not list out a whole bunch of positives? So love is kind, love is patient, uh, love is caring, love is, uh, you know, peaceful. Why does he not say all of that? Why? Think about this for a moment. What do you war against when you wake up in the morning? The biggest problem in your life is not people, it's yourself. And so when there's things in your life that you feel like it's creeping up, envy, boasting, you see love wars against all that is evil. Love wars against envy. Love wars against boastfulness. Love wars against all of those things. It is the kingdom of God that causes us to war against that which is against him. And that's why there's the middle section. But the question is, what is what is patience? Oh, what is kind? What, is, what are those things, right? You see, uh, the patience of God is his long-suffering endurance. And in many senses, his mercy on us. The word patient here actually means, in the Greek, it actually means uh, enduring, um, enduring harm. without retaliation. Enduring harm or enduring uh, 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 injury without retaliation. And when, when you think of it in, in this sense, Jesus Christ is the perfect example of patience. Jesus Christ could have called down a legion of angels and said, I'm done with this. I'm just gonna be like, I'm good. I'm not gonna suffer on the cross. You see, patience is a virtue that must lead to mercy. There's no such thing as a person who's like, oh, I'm merciful. I'm very merciful to this person, you know, you know, forgave his debt. But he's not patient with him. 
I don't think there's a single person who could be not patient and yet merciful. You see, patience is a virtue. It's an on-ramp towards mercy. That's where we get the character of God. Now, I'm, I'm trying to help you understand that this is, this is the character of God. Love is patient. If we begin with ourselves, we're gonna fail. That's why when I, I, I do weddings and then sometimes when I read this passage and I say, this passage is not about us, it's about Jesus. And when we look to Jesus and we see the essential part of his life and the, we're gripped by his love and we're gripped by the greatness of God in his love, then we're going to follow suit and say, okay, love is really patient. How, 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 how am I supposed to be patient and kind? It, it must start with Christ and then kindness too as well. But before we go into uh, uh, kindness, I want to just... Turn your attention to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one of them, uh, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So the, the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me and I will pay you back everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. No, not only did he understand that the plea of this, of this servant was, I need patience. You, can you please be patient with me? The king, his master said, I'm not only going to be patient with you, I'm going I'm, I'm to have mercy upon you. Our need for patience is so significant when it comes to love. And God loved us first in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. You know, his patience. Uh, but when the same uh, servant went out, he found out, uh, so he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is uh, a day's wage or even less than that. And seizing him, he began to choke him and saying, pay what you owe. So his, fe uh, his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should, you not, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Notice what it says there. I had mercy. I had mercy. Shouldn't you show mercy? And so the trickle effect is if you truly love a person, you will have patience with them. And if you have patience, you will show mercy. And this is demonstrated through Jesus Christ. This has to be demonstrated through Christ. Because if it was me, I would have no hope in myself. There would be no hope for me. But thanks be to God, because I could be that, like that, that person right there. I could be the one saying, no, you, you pay back what you owe. But it is Christ who actually took on the penalty of our sin and gave us new life and gave us forgiveness for free. It cost him everything, but for us, it is a free gift. So think about that. And, and the second uh, point of this is, 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 his, uh, is not just his patience, but his kindness. In Romans 5, 8, as I said before, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 2, verse 4, 
Or do you not presume that on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The love of God is described in the virtue of his patience and his kindness so that it could be displayed at the cross through mercy and grace. Mercy is not giving what you deserve. If we, deserve, uh, if we were given what we deserve, we'd all be you know where. I mean, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life, right? And then what is grace? Grace is giving what giving you what you don't deserve. Which means you don't deserve love and his forgiveness, but God has given that to you through Christ. And so in, this, in this, these two words, I hope we can see that kindness and patience is the, is the foundation of the gospel. It's the foundation of God's mercy and of his grace. Finally, in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 to 7, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because, and this is again, his loving kindness. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we know what love is. Love is demonstrated by God. Love is God. God is love. 1 John 4 verse I have to get there I forget the verse but like it is God is love now let's just kind of uh, qualify this right now the quality of love it's patient it's kind and it's founded in the gospel and so when you think about this you're looking at this list and you're like am I patient and am I kind no that's not the first question you should be asking we should be asking together as a church is my heart gripped by the kindness and patience of my God is my heart gripped by who God is am I excited in the morning when I wake up and I say Jesus thank you for your patience with me for your mercy upon me thank you for showing me mercy for canceling the 10,000 talents which whereby I owe you thank you for your kindness which led to your grace at the cross. You are kind, oh God. You are so patient. So the question is, how does patience and kindness lead us to these two categories, these two columns? What love is not and what love does. So what love is not? Uh, you know, love is, is, is not envious. And again, what, what you fight for or what you want so badly in your life is usually what you love most. And if you love and you want patience and you want kindness and you want to do this loving thing and you know you want to get everything out of the way that's not that. And this is the description right here. Envy and, and, and boastful and arrogant and rude. I'm going to say a few things about this um, that... Uh, I noticed in, in society, and, and especially in the sexual res, revolution, where, whereby the definition of love and lust somehow kind of get intertwined. 
and with Twitter and Instagram and all these things that are trying to, the world saying love and lust are the same thing. You need to feel good before you actually do any good to another person. This is such a lie from the pit of hell. Lust and love are two, one is a sin, the other one is God-given. And we have to understand this, in every marriage, if you, if you say lust equals love, your marriage is never gonna succeed. It's gonna fail. And I'm, and I'm just also talking to, specifically to men as we, a lot of us struggle with lust. We need to get to a point where we understand that love is from God and how we love patient and kind. I'm gonna let you apply that to every area of your life and your marriage. I'll let you apply that. And I have nothing else to say about that. But think about it, right? We live in a world that says, you know, oh, you know, I demand, you know, and I covet this person or I want to look at these pictures. I have these inclinations. I have to, you know, do something about those inclinations. That's a lie. Self-love and all that kind of stuff. The devil is going to continue to feed you lies, feed me lies until the day of Jesus Christ. And we have to battle and it's worth it. It's worth it. Love is not envious. It is not covetousness. And any time, especially in a world that's filled with sexual images, it is just tempting us to covet. And the second thing is boastful and arrogant. There's so many areas of, of, of our lives that, we, that just kind of get um, uh, forgotten when we're, when we're boastful and we're arrogant. We just don't really think about it. About three months ago when I was, uh, uh, when, when things were going on in Ottawa, and uh, was it three months ago? I forget how long it was. Um, but like uh, I, I was... Uh, on Facebook, and I felt very the urge to post something. I haven't posted something in about a year or so. I'm not really a Facebook person, but I wanted everyone to know my 1,496 friends, right, and more. Um, I don't know how many there are now, but like whatever. The the case is, I I tried to put something there, and I thought it was uh, I thought it was so good. I thought it was oh, I'm speaking the truth, and 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 you know, no one can really say anything against me because you know um, uh, what I'm saying is so comprehensive. All my non-Christian friends, all my Christian friends, they'll have no comments, you know, because I got it right, and it had something to do with the pandemic and had something to do with all these rules and regulations. And I, and I had, I said it in such a way that I thought I was spiritual. And at the end of the, 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 this, the paragraph, I, I wrote this and, uh, uh, don't ever write this, but, um, I wrote, go ahead and challenge me. Go ahead and challenge me. Like, seriously, I can say it to 1,463 friends, as many around the world, as go ahead and challenge me. Let me see if the world can even see if they can have anything against what I say. Because they know it's the truth. And so, this is, this, I tell you this, the pride, and the, Eric, who am I? Who am I that I would ever want to say those things? So I, I was uh, going out to a restaurant to pick up some food uh, for Ann and myself, and then I... Um, I was looking at my phone. I said, oh, 14 likes. I got 20 likes now. No comments. No comments yet. Ha. I stumped them all. 
No one can ever say anything again. I see, because I, I thought about this for a long time. I was, you know, theologically going through everything and then it just stumped them all, stumped them all. And then I, I, just, I just thought to myself, I'm like, why am I doing this? And why did I make that statement? And it just this heaviness came on my heart. I had a panic attack in the middle of a restaurant because I knew that what I was doing was not for my glory. Sorry, was not for God's glory, but for my own glory. And the, the Holy Spirit was like literally just turning my heart and say, Andrew, like, I'm giving you a panic attack. Your BPM right now is probably about 140. I, I'm giving you this because I want you to know how much stress it takes to tell the truth and think that you can get the glory for yourself. And I just stood there and I just remember just pace. I had to go outside and take off my mask. I was breathing hard and I was like, oh, I, I just couldn't because I was waiting to see whether or not anyone would comment because I was thinking I was right. And I'm just so grateful for, for, for my wife who after when I got home and she said, what did you post? And then she's like, I agree with everything you said except for the last part. I mean, oh, maybe we put that down. And I just had this heaviness and I said, yes, I do. And, and it, it is a little embarrassing because I, I, I had to change it. And instead of like, go ahead, challenge me, I, I wrote, uh, hope this helps. Um, so I, I just, I had to do this because you know, this is not about me. And I'm thankful for guys like Aaron Best who, you know, I, I call him and then actually he called me and then we taught, talked a little bit about it. And for brothers who are just willing to speak the truth in love, not in a way that says, Andrew, how can you say this? You prideful person no he he just said hey maybe, maybe you shouldn't do that and the holy spirit was just moving in my heart and i had to to remove that brothers and sisters we need to be uh, uh, sensitive to our our pride because love cannot be boastful or arrogant or rude rude is uh, um you know during the pandemic i'm sure we experienced a lot of this too Rudeness is a disrespect, a disregard for other people's opinions, cares, or concerns. I mean, sometimes when we, when we think about rudeness, it's not just uh, saying something rude or being rude, but it can be a snarky comment. It could be uh, sarcasm. It could be sarcasm uh, masked as kindness. It could be everything that you can think of, a malicious intent, even a look. I was just talking to uh, Roy Wahab the other, uh, just uh, out in the hallway, and he said, just think about this. Even gossip can just be like, mm-hmm, yeah. Like that. It could just be like that. You don't even need to say a word. You see, God wants us to know that these characteristics are, are, are worth fighting against. That these things come up in our life regularly. And it's okay to fight against them. You are not any less spiritual if you think that, oh, you know, I don't struggle with, with, with most of these. Sorry, you are not any more spiritual if you think that there's, you don't struggle with, 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 with these Everybody struggles with these, and everyone needs to evaluate this. Insists on its own way. Um, when I was uh, early on, before, before we got married, um, hi. <laughs> uh, my wife is there, and so, uh, so before we got married, uh, um, <laughs> Next point, yeah. Um, before we got married, we go to, to, to Chinese restaurants, and then uh, you know, in Chinese culture, sometimes you like, and some other cultures as well, you serve the other person. So there's dishes in the middle, and you serve, and you serve, and you serve. And uh, I, I was, I was serving Anne, and it was just me and her, you know, just serving her, serving her. 
And she was like looking at me and she was like, um, no, no, I, I don't want to eat this. But I'm like, no, but I'm like, this is the way that I want, you know, this is the way I show you love and care. So I got offended by the fact that she didn't receive the thing that I was putting on her plate, right? And I was just like, oh, like, why? Why are you not receiving this? But hey, listen, like, I got offended because I, I insisted on my way. I didn't think about or cared about what she wanted to be on her plate. I don't care. Like sometimes I'm like, well, you're Chinese too. Well, why, why can't we like be serving one another? I should have an empty plate and you do the same thing for me. No, well, like listen, in our marriage, we have this like struggle back and forth sometimes because we're thinking like, you know, the best way is my way. Okay, honey, the best way is my way, right? But then the thing is, it's not. If I'm truly loving towards her, if I truly want to understand her thoughts and her opinions, and maybe she doesn't feel like eating too much that day, or maybe she just, I, I don't know, she wants to have some other food. But like, listen, what it means to love is not to insist our own way, even though we think it's the good way. And another example would be like just kind of uh, uh, early on in our relationship, we'd go shopping and then Anne would be like looking around and she'd like, oh yeah, I like this. And then uh, she's like, oh, I'll, I'll think about it later. And I, I that in, antenna, I'm like, oh, I should, I should go find a size for her. So I go and I pick this up and I'm like, go to the manager. And I'm like, hey, can, can you get the, the right size for this? And here she is like wandering around and trying to find other things. And I'm, I'm like on a mission. I'm like, I got to get this for her. I got it. She, she wants to try this on. And I go back to her with the manager and I say, hey, honey, do you want to try this on? And then, she, and then she looks at me. She's like, you didn't really ask me. Like, you know, we didn't really talk about, you know, like it's, it's one of those things where like I just wanted to insist on my own way and I can be pushy that way too. But maybe it's like, this is just a funny example, right? But there are many times in our lives where we feel like we insist uh, our way is better. But just because your way may be good in your eyes. It doesn't mean it's the best way for that other person. Now, I'm not speaking specifically uh, for parents uh, uh, teaching children because parents, you need to speak the truth in love and you need to train a, up a child in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they will follow that. And so you need to do that. But I'm talking about relationships where it's like this, this decision that needs to be made needs to be made in love, you know? And so I'm learning that and I'm growing in that area. So the, the moral of the story is uh, don't go shopping with me and also <laughs> make sure the food is far away from me. So anyways, um, but anyways, uh, irritable, irresentful. The word irritable, irritable means uh, easily angered. The word resentful uh, is uh, two Greek words holding on to evil. Um, you hold on to evil. Resentfulness means someone has done something wrong against me and I have the right right now to hold on to that. And I'm not gonna let it go. I'm not gonna forgive. That person did something so wrong to me. I, am going, I have the right. I deserve to be resentful. I deserve to be bitter. And that's not loving. That's not the way of the cross, Right? You know, Christ, he took on all the sin of the believers. He took on all of our sin and he did not, he did not keep that and he did not hold that. He died on the cross. He gave himself up for us. He loved us. He gave himself for us. He gave himself up for us. And so I think it's so important that we, we recognize that, that, that resentment and irritability go hand in hand. 
I'm going to dare say this. And I, I think there are other counselors and other pastors would say the same thing. But the greatest challenge or the greatest um, uh, threat to marriages is uncontrolled anger and bitterness and resentment. Because if you don't recognize those things and you don't turn to love, you can do all those other things, buy each other gifts, do all kinds of vacations. But if you don't turn from that irritability, that easily angered, if you don't not turn from that resentment and turn to God's love, it's a great threat to your marriage. It's a great threat. And I'm just not saying this for marriages, for any relationship in your family, with your friends, coworkers, everyone. So love is not irritable. It is not resentful. It is not holding on to evil or the evil that is done to a person. And then it says here, it's not, it does not rejoice in wrong, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing. And here it is for the men. The word wrongdoing here is unrighteousness. In accountability, when you sit next to a man and you say, I am struggling with something, you do not let your mind go towards excuses. And I would say you're not rejoicing necessarily, but you would say, Lord God, help me to live in such a loving way so that I turn away from unrighteousness. I do not rejoice in unrighteousness, but I rejoice with the truth. And the truth of God's word says that I am free in him and that I am I'm loved by him. And as a man, I am, my identity is in him. And that I have nothing to prove, nothing to hide, nothing to fear, and everything to give. And that's my identity in Christ. And this is something that as men we need to understand. That is, that is how we can set the example. Love. Love for God and love for others is absolutely at the center of this discussion here. And it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The text here says bears all things and believes all things. It means that you're, you're not necessarily believing all things about all. It's not universalism. You're believing all religions. Believing something about someone or believing all things about that person is literally saying, I believe the best about you. It's not saying, oh, you know what, hold on. I, I uh, hear what you're saying, but you're, the last three words of your sentence don't really make sense and uh, that's wrong you trust the person and you say what is coming out of your mouth for for the most part is is what I'm going to believe I'm going to trust you because I love you I love you and I don't want to think poorly about you I don't want to harbor resentment and bitterness I don't want to just say hey last week you did this to me last week you said this to me you want to think what is best for that person you want to believe what is best this is so hard in our society because we like to cancel each other. And we tend to do so unknowingly or subversively as well. But love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. I hope for the best. I hope for this person's best. Just because this person's messed up a hundred times, if you love that person, you're like, I hope that this person can change. You're like, no, this person's hopeless. No, I hope that this person can change. I hope all the best for them. 
I, I, I desire, the word hope means desire. I desire what's best for this person. So when was the last time you, 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 you could say to your, the other person that you love most, you say, I, 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 I bared all things. I, I believed all things about you and I, and I, and I hoped all things and, and I endured all things, right? This is what Jesus did. He is the character whereby there is no envy, no boasting, no arrogance, no rudeness, not, never insisting on his own way, never irritable, never resentful, never rejoicing in wrongdoing. But what love does and what Christ does is he rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Finally, 1 John 4, verse 7 to 12. Let's remember this passage here. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God and anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. You see, God in his in his ontological entity, in his nature, in his being, in all that he is, he is love. And because he is love, he is able to show this to us. He's able to uh, demonstrate this to us. Verse 9. And in this love of God was manifest among us that God sent his son, uh, um, God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we, ought, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And the reason why he, the author says that no, um, no one has ever seen God, this is post-resurrection, and he literally says, like, God is invisible, right? No one has ever seen God. But here's the point. If we love one another, God abides in us. The world will see that God exists and that his love is eternal. And that love will never fail, even though everyone else fails, and all the people, and you fail yourself. God's love always will prevail. And that's why, if we love one another, God's love abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So if we learn to say, Jesus, you are the one who is patient and who is kind. Help me to be patient. Help me to be kind. Help me to be patient in the same way you were patient with me and merciful to me. Help me to be kind and gracious in the very same way you were patient and you were kind and you were gracious to me in my messiness, my ugliness, the brokenness of my own sin. God, help me to demonstrate the existence of God in love. And so... Uh, the next slide here is, is the final point, I believe. Why love lasts? Why love lasts? Notice what it says there um, in, uh, in the passage from 13, 8 to 12. Love never ends. It never ends. In some versions, it says never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see 
in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Paul here addresses the church at Corinth and says, okay, you guys want to know that prophecies and knowledge right now at this point, you only have partial view of it. Because, because all prophecy and all knowledge and the knowledge that he's talking about is divine knowledge from God. That is not fully seen until, until Christ returns. Until faith has become sight, hope has become a reality, and love is for eternity. And so we need to know this. The reality of this is we will see him face to face. And the love of God is not something that is just to be tangibly seen as we have faith in him in this world. But the love of God is to be explained in this way, and that is that God's love for us began before the foundation of the world and does not end. Because it, it will last for eternity. And one day we will see him face to face and all of our fears and all of our brokenness and all of our sin. We will be glorified one day because we belong to him and Christ's righteousness and his love for us will be revealed when we see him face to face in heaven. And that's why it says there, you know, the tongues will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass. For, for we know in part and prophesy in part. And when the perfect comes, now the question is, what is the perfect? There's much debate on this, but I, I would just suggest that when we talk about perfect here, it's referring to what they were looking forward to in light of prophecy and knowledge. Oh, knowledge, prophecy, about God, about God. But one day, when all of that becomes revealed, when I get to heaven one day, when I see Jesus one day, it will be perfect. And I will finally see him as he is. And all my questions will be answered. All my questions will be answered. And, and, and here's, here's, here's another big thing. I shall fully know as I have been fully known. I don't know about you, but there are many times I don't want people to know me fully because of my sin. I don't want people to know the secrets. I don't want people to know the brokenness in my life. But praise be to God that one day you will be fully known because he loves you. And his grace is sufficient to save you from all of your sin. Lamentations 3 verse 21 to 23 says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The steadfast love of God never ceases. It never comes to an end. Church, we need to be preaching and we need to be so encompassed with the love of God because that's how we can practice this whole passage is if we really know how much God loves us. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 6 to 9 and this is actually at the beginning of the book. It says, even in the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We will be with him. The gospel is not just Christ came down to this earth and died on the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven. That's great news. That's why we have Good Friday. And not only did he rise again and give us new life so that we can walk in newness of life, that is his resurrection power. But there's also this, we will see him face to face. That he brings us back to himself as a ransom for many. He purchased for himself so that he could bring all of us who believe back into his kingdom, into his glorious kingdom forever and ever. That is the good news of this great love that we have in Christ Jesus. That's why we can ask the Lord. That's why we can say, Lord, help me to love. For love is patient and kind and never envies. It does not boast. It's not proud. Lord, help me to live like this because of the vastness of your love for me. God, you are generous. And so the last three points is love is defined. Here are some walkaways. Love is defined by God and established by him. Every believer is responsible to love with Christ's love. There's no, no exceptions. And then finally, generosity flows from the heart of love because generosity is God's the, the whole picture of his love story from beginning to end before the foundations of this world to eternity is the fact that he's so generous and rich and kind towards us. And we should live that way every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we know that, uh, God, your word gives us instruction and ammo and encouragement, Lord, to live each day under your love. We... we, we we often forget that it is your love that drives us to love. We often forget and we kind of put that aside, assuming, Lord God, that we, we can do it on our own. That somehow being a Christian for 20 years is good enough and somehow I can do this and I can put a smile on my face and, Lord God, I repent. We repent, oh God. We want to be... Believers who display your glory, who display what it means to be patient, what it means to be kind. We want to display mercy. We want to display your grace. Oh God, teach us, oh Lord. Teach us once again to love. Lord, if there's areas of repentance and confession, oh God, that we would not leave this place without confessing our sin and turning to your love once again. So Lord, help us. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name.